Philippians. We'll get there, and then we'll talk about it when we get there. Who is Jesus? Folks, our world today is in mortal peril, and you know that because of, quite honestly, because we don't know who Jesus is. Our world doesn't know. You do. You know who he is, and you've you've, uh, folded your life around him, and uh, you've folded him into your life, and he works through you, but... But our world has forgotten who he is, and the reason the world has forgotten, or the result of that, is the chaos and moral turpitude of our world today. So the most important question that could ever be asked or answered, it would be, who is Jesus? Now, here's how we can going to find this answer, and here's how the world is, is finding the answer. Some are looking into the Bible to find the answers. And quite honestly, the only way you're ever going to know who Jesus is, is is by looking into His Word. You'll find out who He is. Then in your life, you'll, you'll get to know, understand Him personally as He walks with you, and you'll learn more about Him in a personal relationship. But you must understand He will always find everything you need to know about Him in the Bible. And so we're going to anchor our study in the Bible as we, as we go through this. Because when you ask the question, why am I here? What am I supposed to do while I'm here? And where am I going when I leave here? If you will anchor all those questions and the answers to those in Jesus, then you'll find the answer to those perfectly well. We'll know why I'm here. We'll know what my job is when I'm here. And we'll know where we're going when we get done. But you answer them incorrectly, as our world is doing today, and you get chaos. You get all that we're dealing with today, unfolding chaos. So let's look into God's Word for the answer. <clears throat> there are non-biblical sources into which you can look. And our world is looking in, into some non-biblical sources to find the answers to this, but they'll never find the right answer if you're looking in other areas, you'll not find the right answer because it's only found in the Word of God. <clears throat> now, of all the teaching projects I've ever begun, and I say this as honest as I know how to be, this is the most important that I've ever taught. It's more important than the pivot point studies. It's more, it's more important than anything else I've ever, I've ever done. This is the most, and it's probably the biggest, the most difficult, the most the, most comprehensive of them all. And the reason it is so large to try to get into this study is where do you start? How do you begin? What do you, how would you ever begin to answer the question, who is Jesus? Let me read you what John said in John 21, 25, when he was summarizing the reason he wrote his gospel. The gospel of John, John 21, he said, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that not even the whole world would have room for the books that would be written. Now, that's in the Gospel of John. So the whole world would not contain the books to answer the question I'm trying to answer in this series of sermons. Now, finding a place to start was my biggest challenge this past couple of three weeks. Is where do we begin this? Where do you, you know, okay, let's, let's start it in chronological order. Let's, you know, that's the logic... Western mind, you know, let's just start somewhere and we'll figure it out chronologically. Then I thought, I can't do that because if I do that, I have to start before the Big Bang. 
before there was a big bang, and then I can't end it until there ain't anything left. Because Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. So where can I start to do this? So chronological order won't work. Um, so I thought, okay, let's, let's use philosophy. Because philosophy, you know, that's a, a big subject. Uh, so let's use that, a little thinking. And, uh, uh, but, then, but again, I got to thinking, okay, when I was in philosophy classes in college and seminary and places, they, they always ask questions they never could answer. And so philosophy would say things like, why is there something instead of nothing? Have you ever, asked, you ever thought about that? Why is there something? Why are we here? Why is there a universe? Why is there an earth? God didn't have to do that. Why is there something instead of nothing? So philosophy asks those dumb questions, not dumb, but hard questions. Why are we here? Well, philosophy never really answers it. Um, if there's a God, what does he want? You know, all those. So I just kind of gave up on philosophy. I don't think that's going to be the way we find out who Jesus is. So I begin to prayerfully ask. I don't know that I've found exactly how to start, but we'll just go. We'll start. But uh, So what was in the heart of God? What was God doing? What's up, what's up with God? What is his plan? Well, the answer is simple. When I got to thinking about this, I think the Holy Spirit helped me. There's a very simple answer. First of all, God who did not need anybody else, created a family. Now, think about that a minute. God did not need anybody because he is perfectly complete within himself. There's nothing we can add to him. There's nothing could be added to him or taken away from him. He's everything. He's self-contained. He's perfect. He's not lonely. He doesn't need you or me or anything else. But he decided he wanted others, so he made other things. And these other things he made spiritually. God is spirit, which means he's not physical. We're going to get there in a minute. But he, God was spirit, was spirit, so when he made things, he made spirit things for his family. And because those people, the spirit family, is with him in heaven. That's where he made them. Now, after God finished his spirit, his family in heaven, he said, I also, I want more. I want more people in my family. And I want, I'm gonna, I want a physical family. I've got a spiritual family. I want a physical family. So he invented physicality. All right? He invented the physical, everything physical. And the universe was, was formed, and galaxies, and planets, and, and, and us, and microphone stands, and microphones. He, he uh, invented physical things. So God, who is spirit, wanted a family in the physical realm as well as spiritual. So God became flesh. Are you with me now? So he could work with and be with his flesh family. He made flesh, and he became flesh. He has spirit family and flesh family, and that's what God did. <clears throat> so God took on flesh. Je- Jesus was not born. Even though the Bible once or twice will refer to him as the firstborn of God, he's not born in the sense of, of another God. He's born in the sense that God, who is spirit, became flesh and put on 
flesh. And so that is a, there's no way to explain it, but the, the word born of, of God, the firstborn of God is used, but it's not a good metaphor, but it works. Now, he is the son of God. Jesus is the son of God and the son of man. The son of God, Jesus was born or made. Or God started, well, you know, back before the Big Bang. And then Jesus was born of Mary, you know, just last week in, in, in universal time. So he so has both now. Now, let's look at a few definitions. I hope I haven't uh, stretched your brain too far. This study m- m- hurt mine, I'll tell you for sure. When I first started looking into this, I was, oh, I may have bitten off more here than I can chew. But so God wanted this eternal family, this heaven family, this spirit family. As I said, he didn't need them, but he wanted them. He wanted them. And the neat thing about this is, and this is... This has stretched me. God wants his family. Listen to this now. God wants his family to cooperate with him and help him make decisions. Not that he needs any help. But he loves to work with his family to create things, to design things, to work things out. So God created what's called the divine council. That's what it's called in, in several places in the Bible uh, where Jesus created these eternal, these immortal beings who live with him, who work with him, and he talks with them, and it's called the divine council. I'll show you dozens of places through the Bible where this is happening and what's going on. And the people there with him are the uh, angels, Elohim, the, the sons of God, the morning stars, the angels, the aliens, whatever you want to call them, that they're there with God. In Job 38, uh, we hear, we find out that when the earth was created, that they sang for joy. It was this, all this was going on. So the Father God created everything that exists in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm. He put man on the earth for his family here. He put the spirit beings in, in heaven with him there. All right, now, uh, do you remember, uh, there are a few places in the Bible where it says, let us, or for instance, it says, let us make man in our own image. Who is he talking to? Who are these us? Well, it's this divine council. That's who, these other beings that are with him, his family in heaven. Uh, see, as it, the, God didn't need them. He could have done it without them entirely, but he chose to cooperate with them in, in, in creation and other things. And I'm going to tell you in just a moment, he wants to cooperate with you, and he wants you to join Him as you create your life, your family, your job, your career, your art, your science, your philosophy, your music. Whatever you're going to create, God wants to do it with you and work with you to cre- in creation. That's He gets a kick out of it. Does, does He need us? No. He could do everything we've ever done all by himself. But he wants his family engaged in his, in his existence. Now, everything was going great in heaven and uh, on earth. <clears throat> and then stuff went crazy. I mean, without getting into all that philosophy, 
there was a, a rebellion in heaven. Some of the spirit being, some of those people that was made for the divine council, they wanted to rule. They didn't want to serve. They wanted to rule. They, I guess they had a few of their ideas shot down, and they wanted to be boss so their ideas wouldn't be shot down. I'm joking here, okay? I don't know. The answers to this are far above my and our little brains. But there was a, a rebellion in heaven. Some left, and, uh, and some came to the earth. And they came to the earth, and they recruited our grandparents. And our grandparents joined the rebellion, Garden of Eden things. That's what happened there in the Garden of Eden. Well, that's the story. We know the rest of it now because we're living it out. So to do this big picture stuff, and I felt like to get a beginning on this series of sermons, Who is Jesus?, we have to start with the big picture. And, we, and so that's why I've tried to count, give you this big picture. But uh, let's anchor our study now in Philippians 2. We will anchor it in other Christological texts as we move forward into the future. But let's look at this one, let's start in Philippians chapter 2, that's going to describe Jesus and describe Him uh, very, very well. Now, who are the Philippians? And you need to know stuff like this if you're going to understand it. Well, the Philippians were newly converted Jewish Christians. They had been Jews, and now they're Christian. The church is about, at this time this is written, let's see, uh, 53 minus 30. The church is 25 years old. All right, the church is about 25 years old. Jesus was resurrected about 25 years before the writing of Philippians. So they've had that time uh, to mature, change, whatever. And so there was, in Philippians, there was a lot of stinking thinking going on. All right, it doesn't take long for stinking thinking to start. So in 25 years, it had, got, it had developed a bad, bad way of understanding Jesus and, and Christ. And Paul knew that if they had the mind of Jesus, if they thought like Jesus thought, they wouldn't have this stinking thinking. And neither will you if you put on the mind of Christ. So here's what they said. Here's what was, here was what's so crazy about their, their eyes idea. They thought, because they were Jewish... And that at that time, or not early on, most people who came to Christ in the early church were Jewish. So they had begun, began to believe they first had to be Jews to be a Christian. If you're going to be a Christian, you've got to first be a Jew. All right? And that's stinking thinking. You don't. You can come to Christ from anywhere, anytime, uh, any place, any ethnic, religious, moral, whatever background, you can come to Christ. All right. So they believed you first had to be a Jew, you had to be circumcised first, and then become a Christian. That's how that worked. That's the Mosaic law. Jesus said, if you think like I think, or Paul said to them, if you think like Jesus thinks, all those religious questions are answered. Every one of them are answered if you think like Jesus. Now let's go on and let me share a little bit more insight, I think, into who we are, who you and I are. We're suffering in our modern world today, especially now, from what is called group think. We, we don't think individually as much anymore, as we, but we think as a group anymore. Now, let me go on. You may be thinking, ah, you don't know me. Well, let me go further. You see, we, uh, we care more about agreeing with our tribe than we do 
with anything else. Who's our tribe? Well, you know who your tribe is. It's probably white. And it's probably uh, conservative. It's probably uh, rural, loving, loves the farm, loves life, loves outside, outdoors, loves hunting, fishing. It loves gardening. It loves... That's your tribe. I don't need to describe it further. You know what I'm talking about. So we're more concerned about agreeing with our tribe than we are knowing what the Bible even says or what God wants for our life. We think tribally or groupthink. Now, the, the, and that's okay, except that if you're not careful, it will cause you not to know what God's mind is. And if I want to be in any tribe, I want to be in His. If His tribe is different than this tribe, I want to be in His tribe. Are you with me? Okay. So what's happening here is the other tribes, when they come up with something, we call it fake news or propaganda or whatever. See, we make fun of the other tribe's truth. And that simply what that's done for me, I'll be honest with you, it's just wore me out. I am so tired of turning on the news and hearing one-sided debate on this and then on something else, I hear a one-sided debate on this. I'm sick of that. I have fatigue in that regard. I'm dumbed down. I want to know the mind of Christ because that is the only way I'll find truth in this life. Now, if I'm going to know the mind of Christ, then I, can, I must find out everything I can about Jesus. I've got to know Him. I've got to know Him intellectually. I've got to know Him spiritually. I need to know Him emotionally. I need to know Him Physically, I need to know him every way that I can know something about anything. I need to know Jesus because that's what fixes my life. Now, let's go to Philippians 2. Let's begin to anchor this study here in Philippians 2 because the Bible is going to show us how to, to, to think like Jesus and how that changes my life. When I think like him, how does that change me? How does that change my world? So we start here with this. Let's read it. In your relationships, Paul talking to the church in Philippi, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Okay, if you're going to be, when you're relating with other people, have the same, think like he did. Think like Christ did. Relate like he related. So I begin to think, all right? So how did he do? How did he think? How did he relate with people? Okay, so then I started walking in my memory down the New Testament, the, mission, the, the ministry of Christ. I want to start with his ministry. First thing we know, he went to a wedding, came of Galilee and turned water into wine. Why did he do that? For the joy. Wine symbolic of joy. It always, always is in the Bible. Wine was symbolic of, of the joy of the wedding. And they had run out of joy. They'd run out of wine. And Jesus restored joy. Point number, hold this down. The personality of Jesus is he, in, he enjoys joy. He likes to be around people who are joyful. He wants to give joy back to your life. Not pain, not disappointment, but he wants to give you joy. I like that. Anybody else like that besides me? All right, I like that. Next thing we find, he went to the, the temple. He drove the money changers out of the temple. Well, why did he do that? Because he wanted to restore the joy of worship. He wanted you to be worshipful. He wanted you to be joy and he have joy, and he wanted you to worship him. 
in spirit and in truth. So I like, I like that. So everything I've found out about Jesus, I like, don't you? Let's find out more. Well, he was on the, out in the boat with his friends. And what happened? A storm came up. And what did he do? He stopped the storm. Why? Because he wanted to protect his friends. Joy, worship, protection. Are we getting somewhere? Are you following me here? We're getting to know Jesus. We're getting to know his personality, what, is he, what he likes. A woman caught in adultery. Poor little old gal. Caught in adultery. Jesus, what are you going to do with her? She's a horrible person. Jesus said, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. So he wants to, for us, he wants to give us forgiveness and redemption. You liking this so far? He was hanging on a cross. And the guy hanging there with him said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said, okay. <laughs> okay. This day you'll be with me in paradise. He's forgiving. He's restoring hope. Uh, he, gives, he gives and gives and gives. And gives him a future. Okay. Enough of that. Because we could just go on and on talking about what he does and why he does it. But I need to ask you a question. How are you relating with people today. When people see you coming, do they see joy coming or do they say, oh no? <laughs> How are you relating? Are you adding peace, worship, protection, second chances, forgiveness? Is that what you emanate? Is that the picture of Christ that's in you? If it isn't, we need to restore that today. So, how does Jesus change our lives? He helps not only how I relate, but He helps me in how I see myself, about myself. Let's read verse 6. Join me there. Philippians 6. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. Rather, He made Himself nothing, but taking the very nature God of a servant. What that means is Jesus didn't play his God card all the time. He didn't walk around saying, hey, hey, I'm God, I'm different. I, uh, he didn't use his God card to do just about anything. He stayed in his human form. Now, let's talk about this. So instead of waving the God card, he, he used the servant card to identify himself. Now, this is going to get to the very nature of the question of who is Jesus and what do I need to be, how do I need that in my life? Well, first of all, I want you to notice he, simp- he said, I, he didn't, or Paul didn't say to those Philippians that Jesus came and acted like a servant. He said he took on the very nature of a servant. I read it. Notice it. He took on the nature of a servant. Now, I can pretend to be a servant for a day or two, maybe not that long, but a little while. Okay, I can pretend, but when I get tired or mad or frustrated or whatever, my servanthood goes out the window. Hey, about that? Anybody else with me? But Jesus didn't pretend to be a servant. He took on the nature of a servant. Oh, I see. He wasn't imitating one. He became one. And then he told a story. He said, this is what a servant's like. He said, there was a man going down from Jerusalem, and he was going down the road, and uh, some guys mugged him. They beat him up, stole his money, and beat, and 
left him bleeding and bruised, laying beside the road. And there he lay until some men started coming by to help him, he thought. The first guy that came by was very religious. Now, I'm not telling this story accurately, just I'm giving you the, this is kind of a hint of it. A religious guy came by, I'm too religious, I can't help you. Another guy came by, I'm too busy, I'm, I'm going my way here, I'm, on to, I'm too busy, or I'm too good. And there's always some two reason that he couldn't help the guy. But then finally, this third-class guy came by. It was a Samaritan. He was, wasn't, wasn't upper crust. He wasn't even middle class. He was people that looked down on. You know, they lived over there. Mm-hmm. And that guy stopped and helped the Jew. It was a Jew, by the way, that was in the ditch. So the Samaritan, who was looked down on by the Jews, he stopped and helped the guy in the ditch. In this story, Jesus is the good Samaritan. In this story, you're the guy in the ditch. That's who you are. All right, and Jesus stopped to help you. You and I are there, robbed and beaten, and God became a man to save us. God became Jesus in this physical world to save us. God became a man so he could serve us. Not just pretend to be a servant, but to truly serve. Now, are you... Oh, here comes the hard question. I hate to even ask it. How's your serve? How's your serve? You need any improvements in your serve? I'm not talking about your tennis serve. I'm talking about your serve, your service. Are you too important? Are you too busy? Have you played the not me card the God card, not, but, but just and opted out. I don't have time, Lord. I'm too busy work serving you. Okay, let me quickly run on. How does thinking like Jesus change our life? Well, we see our purpose more plainly. We see our purpose more plainly. I told you today, this is going to be revealing for you to understand things. about Why did God even make a universe? Why did He create the earth? Why, why did He make you? Let's, read, let's keep reading. Verse 7, the last part of verse 7. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Wow. Well, the world tells us that we're a random, chaotic act that just happened we're here. Just by luck, this all happened to you know, evolution, two or three things came together and this happened. Anyway, but the, what the truth of it is, is there was a guiding hand behind it all. And Jesus didn't come by accident. He came to die for our sins. He came to die and to humble himself and to serve us. Who was Jesus obedient to? Uh, Paul said there, and he was obedient to death, even death on the cross. Who was he obedient to? Who was Jesus obedient to? Well, it says to death, but that, he, that just means he was obedient all the way to death. Who was he obeying? Love. He was obeying the demand of love. See, love, obedience demanded death. That's the price he paid. That was the cost of it. Death was the price love required. That's how Jesus paid it. He was obedient to love. Okay, remember his family in heaven and his family on the earth? He died to include us all into one big family. 
And that's what's going to happen in heaven. When we get home, when this all said and done, we are going to be all one big family in heaven with with the Father. We will still be the physical family, but we'll be surrounded by angels. See, one big family in heaven. Oh, that's that's goosebumps me. I don't know about you. I can't really wait to do that. Okay. Now here's a hard question. What are you dying for? Jesus died to be obedient to love. What are you dying for? I'm not dying. Yeah, you are. Every person in here is dying. Just a matter of time. Are you dying for reputation, resources, recreation, recognition? See how I use all them R words? That means I'm a great preacher when you use a lot of R words. Like, that's how you know. That's just so, so what you know. <clears throat> so how does Jesus change our lives? Let's read verse 9. This is so cool. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven Oh, what? In heaven and on earth, yeah, and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue. Heaven, earth, under the earth, everywhere. They're going to all say Jesus is Lord. Wow. Who is Jesus then? Well, guys, His name is the highest name of all. We know for sure. He's, the, he's got the highest name in heaven, earth, under the earth. Everything in heaven... Everything in the earth, everything that can say a word is going to say Jesus is Lord. Everything that's got a knee that will bend will bend to Him in humble obedience and worship. He's the game changer. He's the game changer in your life, in your family, in your church, in your business, in your community, in your school. He's the game changer. Just acknowledge Him as Lord and make sure, and He will come in and... uh, Make sure you do it now on this side of the judgment to the glory of the Lord. All right. Let Jesus in your life. Let him in. I I hope you have, and I suspect many of you have. But if you've not, what a wonderful time to start. This is the only time to start. Let him into your life. Stop pushing him back. Stop ignoring him. Let him into your life today. And let Jesus not just into your life, let him into your relationships as well. Let him in. Let him into your thinking process as well. Let him into your emotional life as well. This, don't keep any part of your life away from him. Let him have everything. I've got about 30 seconds. Let me tell you an old-time story you probably won't even understand. Back when my grandparents were little, they had a parlor room. Anybody ever heard of a parlor room? All right, you didn't go into that room. Kids... Kids did not go into the parlor room. I remember this. Oh, no. You don't go in there. That's just for company. So you played everywhere else, whatever, but you didn't go into the parlor room. You know, I could go into the bedroom and the bathroom. Of course, they didn't have a bathroom either, but we could, I'd go in the bedroom, <clears throat> the kitchen, and other places, but I couldn't go into the parlor. Now, what I'm saying is if your life is like that today, <laughs> oh, man, Jesus wants in the parlor. He wants in your bedroom. He's going to go into your kitchen. He wants the whole you. Let him in today, will you? Let him in. Lord, we come at the close of this introductory sermon today. We ask that 
your Holy Spirit would enable it. Take these fumbling words that I've used and straighten them out and apply them to our lives. Show us who you are. We desire to know you every way that's possible to know you. Father, we plan our greatest hope is that we will be with you in eternity forever. We long for that. We look forward to that where we can share with you forever. So help us to know down on this side of eternity. Help us to know all we can know about you. Lord, if there's a person today that's listened to this teaching that, that, and they've decided they want a part of this, I pray nothing would hinder them, that they would come and humble themselves, confess sin, repent, and receive it. And this day, be welcomed into heaven with Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.